salvation so that you can be a strong, strong believer in Christ. That's what the Radical series is really all about. It's about building people and helping them understand that the claims of Christ are so radical. Now, when we think of that word radical, what do we think of? We think of uh, somebody who's really radical about their religion and in some ways and very dangerous. Uh, but, but did you know that the word radical actually means going back to the root? The, the word radical means going back to the root. And see, the American gospel has gone so far, 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 let me say, to the left when it comes to understanding the true gospel. We don't even understand what it is because we've gone so far to the left that anything and everything it counts when it comes to the church in America. And so, so what we want to do is actually go back to the root, to go back to the basics of what Jesus said and find out that what Jesus said was so radical that it can change your life, that it was so radical that it can change the world. Somebody say amen. I mean, Jesus takes 12 disciples and changes the entire world with his radical statements. So we want to discover the radical statements of Jesus, and we want it to change our life. You know, when I was a kid, I, I sat here in the front many, 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 many Sundays, and I heard my preacher preach many, many sermons. But I want to be honest with you, as a kid, you only, if, if you remember one, that's a lot. But you, you only remember a few as a kid. You're not thinking. I wasn't thinking about serving Jesus while I was listening to those sermons. I was made to come to church by my four-foot-nothing mom who was Italian that said, you're going to be in church no matter what. I'm going to make sure you're in church. And I thank God for my mom who made me go to church. Because somewhere along the line, God spoke to my heart. But I have to tell you that I do remember one sermon from my pastor, and it was that we are to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. It left an indelible imprint on my heart. Those words were so piercing. Those words were so cutting. Those words were so radical that I could not shake those words from my mind. I could not run far enough away from God that those words would not haunt me when I was doing something wrong. The words of Jesus were so radical that it changed my life. So I want to talk to you a little bit about being radical. I want to talk to you a little bit about what does it really mean to follow Christ. We want to also welcome uh, two other locations and uh, we're thankful for, uh, number one, Calvary's family uh, way out in Yapank that's meeting uh, with us via through live stream. And we want to welcome the Calvary family today. And we thank you for tuning in and joining us for the next eight weeks as we together learn what it means to be radical. We also want to welcome our Farmingdale campus. We thank God for Pastor Pete and the great job that he's doing there. We've seen lives change. In fact, we had a Hope Day there the week after we had a Hope Day here, and uh, over 30 people gave their lives to Christ. Somebody say amen. 
glory to God. So we want to welcome those other venues. We also want to welcome those that are watching via live stream. We know that some people are watching in the Middle East, and we thank God that you're tuning in and you're watching and uh, you're learning with us as we as a community want to learn what it means to be radical for Christ. Now I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach repentance. Let's put it on the screen. For the kingdom of heaven is near. For the kingdom of heaven is near. And as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Everybody say, follow me. And Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And I will make you fishers of men. And then the Bible says, at once they left their nets and followed him. At once. They left their nets and they followed him. Take a moment with me this morning and picture the scene if you would. Peter and Andrew grew up as fishermen. All their life they were near the Sea of Galilee. I suppose they came from a, a long line of fishermen. Their great-grandfathers were fishermen. Their grandfather was a fisherman. Their father was a fisherman it was passed on to them and perhaps that's how their family made a living for a very long time and it was passed down to each one of them that was in their blood fishing was in their blood and their fathers were rugged early in the morning they would get up and they would have long days and sometimes they would have a good catch and sometimes they would have a very bad catch at sea. That was a really bad day when they would spend all day toiling, when they would spend all day casting their nets and they would come home with nothing. That was a really bad day. But it was the family business, and whether they enjoyed the family business or not, Peter and Andrew, they were in the family business. That's what they were going to do for the rest of their life. They would wake up early in the morning every single day except for the Sabbath, and they would launch their boats out, and they would cast their nets, and they would hope that they would make a living on that day. On one occasion, it was a clear, beautiful day on the lake, and they were busy casting out their nets. They were busy anticipating a great catch. And all of a sudden, as they are getting ready to launch out, they hear a voice from the shore. It's the voice of, a, of an itinerant preacher who had been healing the sick, who had been casting out demons, who had been visiting people who were on the wrong side of the tracks, on the wrong side of town, 
giving them hope, bringing hope into their life. He was healing the blind man. He was healing the woman with the issue of blood. He was casting out many demons, and he was bringing hope to the people. He was even hanging out with people that people don't usually want to associate with. He was hanging out with prostitutes, and he was hanging out with IRS agents, and he was uh, just hanging out with people that other Christian people or, or religious people would never touch because they were the bad people on the wrong side of the town. He was young. He was full of life. He spoke with great authority. But more than that, he brought hope to people's lives. They would hear him say things like, come and follow me and I will make you fishes of men. Can you imagine for a moment as they're on that boat and this itinerant preacher begins to scream out, hey, Andrew, hey, Peter, come, come and follow me. Leave everything and come and follow me and I'll make you fishes of men. Did you ever ask yourself, did the disciples truly understand what Jesus was truly calling them to? In fact, the truth is, they really didn't know what Jesus was calling them to. In fact, Jesus spent the next three years trying to share with them, explaining to them that the Son of Man came to die on the cross. That every once in a while they would have these arguments about who would be the great amongst them and they would have conversations about when Jesus, when he comes into his kingdom and when he, when he overthrows the government and when he begins his kingdom on this earth, we're going to be first on line. In fact, I want to sit on the right hand and I want to sit on the left hand of Jesus because, man, it's going to be great. It's going to be glorious. And every time they started to think about what, what they could get out of this, this situation Jesus would remind them but the son of man he didn't come to serve be served but he came to serve he didn't come to live but he came to die he didn't come so that everyone would embrace him but that in the truth of the matter is that he would actually divide families and he would actually cause people to be put to death because they would embrace him as Lord and Savior he would have to remind them that they were actually um, buy, buying into a system or buying into a a relationship with Jesus that would cost them everything he said come follow me and the truth is these are three words that would forever change their lives those three words say that with me come follow me say that again come those three words come follow me and the truth is these three words would change the course of history these three words would change the course of your life because someone was willing to follow Jesus. We're here today in this church because someone was willing to follow Jesus. No matter where Jesus led them, they were willing to follow Jesus, even if it meant death. We're here today celebrating our faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, I celebrate my faith because someone was willing to follow Jesus. You see, Jesus called them to, to leave everything. He was calling them from everything they had, everything that they possessed. He was calling them to leave everything. When, when Jesus said, come follow me, he was calling them to leave their careers. 
When Jesus called them to follow him, he was calling them to leave their nets and leave their livelihoods. When Jesus said, come and follow me, he was calling them to leave their possessions. When Jesus said, come follow me, he was calling them to even leave their families, leave their relationships, leave everything behind. When Jesus was calling them to follow him, he was calling them to lay down their life. And when these men climbed out of the boat and immediately followed Jesus, they were leaving certainty for uncertainty. They were leaving safety for danger. They were leaving self-preservation for self-denunciation. And what is the cost of following Jesus? Jesus shows us that they immediately got out of the boat and they followed the Lord. Let me ask you a question this morning. What if you were in the boat that day? What, what if you were a fisherman? What if you made your livelihood by fishing every day? What if you knew that if you didn't come home with a catch, you'd catch a beating? What if, what if you knew that if you didn't come home with a catch, your kids would not eat maybe that day? Your, your wife might have been really, really disappointed with you because she was waiting for the catch, because she was depending on you coming home with the catch of fish so that she could feed her kids or maybe even her extended family. What would you have done if there was a young man who you didn't know exactly what he was all about called you to follow him? What would you do? I often ask myself, what would I have done? And what would have been the most difficult part of following Jesus at that very moment? Jesus, I worked really hard all my life building up my business. I can't just leave it now. That's irresponsible of me. Think about it. Jesus, I've always respected my father and my mother, and I've always been taught that I should honor my father and my mother. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Old Testament says. That's what the rabbi has taught me all my life, that I'm to honor my father and my mother. I'm to obey my, uh, my father and my mother, and I'm to even provide for them when they have a need. That's respect, Jesus. Are you teaching me how to disrespect those people that I'm supposed to respect in my life? Jesus, I have a family. How will I provide for my family? I have commitments that I've already made, Jesus. I've made promises to people. I've made commitments to people. I've entered into a contract with my boss, and I told them that I'd be with my boss for two years or five years or ten years. That's the contract, and I need to stay with the contract. That's the responsible thing to do. Truth is, most people didn't understand and to us today, this just doesn't seem to make sense. Leave everything. It doesn't make sense, Jesus. And the truth is, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to his disciples as well. Everything Jesus did didn't make a whole lot of sense. Everything went against good logic. Think about it. The Beatitudes, Jesus calls his disciples together and he turns the tables. He says, happy is the man who has nothing. Wow, wait a minute. I thought I was supposed to have everything so I could be happy. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. 
Woe is the man when everyone speaks well of them. Friend, I, I want you to know that when I read that plaque and I, I understand that we are to be honored by the mayor and we thank God that they recognize the good things that we're doing in the community. But the truth is, woe am I when everyone speaks well of me. Because let me tell you something, the gospel cuts against all tradition. The gospel cuts against all, even logic, in, in the way that if somebody actually sat down with me and they interviewed me and they asked me what I think about certain things, what I think about the family, what I think about marriage, what I think about God, what I think about the fact that Jesus is the only way to God, that there's no other way, I'm telling you something, there might be some people in this community that might not like me so much any longer woe is it when all men speak well of you just ask me what I believe just ask me what I think about certain things and you might not like me as much tomorrow morning surely Jesus wasn't really suggesting that they leave their father alone to tend the business surely Jesus wasn't really suggesting that his disciples would leave his kids and his wife flat and just up and follow him and suddenly, subtly, we reduce following Jesus with total abandonment to following Jesus as long, listen to me, as it's convenient. It has never been convenient to follow Jesus. Jesus comes knocking on, door, on our door so often when it's inconvenient. Jesus tells us to do things that that, that stretch us, stretch our faith, that take us out of the box, that, that, that challenges the very core of what we believe in our life. Jesus tells us to do things that challenges our very, very existence, the core of what we hope, and that is survival. It is self-dependence. Following Jesus when there's something in it for us seems like it's more logical. Following Jesus, as long as there's a visible benefit that we have from following Jesus right away. Following Jesus, as long as it doesn't cost us something. Following Jesus, because following Jesus means that I will be blessed, I will be happy, I will be prosperous. And after all, didn't Jesus say in the word of God that I've come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly? And so we have a bunch of preachers today running around the United States trying to appeal to the materialistic self-preservation, self-exaltant flesh, the person who says, what's in it for me? So in America, we have pastors now who have twisted what it means to live an abundant life, offering people more money and more comfort, offering people more safety and more happiness if they come to Jesus. You know, some of you watch them. They smile at the crowd, telling you that if you come to Jesus, your life is going to get better, that this is going to be a good day for you if you come to Jesus, that you're going to get anything you pray for because Jesus has come to give you Life and that life to the fullest, that you ought to be blessed and happy and you ought to be prosperous because Jesus became poor so you can become rich. I'm certain that when Paul said that, he wasn't talking about material wealth. I'm positive 
that when Paul the Apostle said Jesus became poor so that we could become rich, he wasn't talking about being more comfortable as an American Christian. See, after all, I wonder what the Christians in the early church were thinking when they were dragged into the middle of the arena filled with lions who were about to eat them simply because they were Christians. That's all. Just because they proclaimed Christ as their Savior, they were dragged into a lion's den and they were eaten alive or perhaps Christians that were burned at the stake because they were thinking that following Jesus meant that they would be prosperous and that they would have money and they would be comfortable. I don't think so. Or the Christians today who are being persecuted right now just because they refuse to deny Christ as Lord. In fact, did you know that every day, did you know, let me say this very clear, did you know that every day 450 people are being put to death just because they're Christians? 16,000 people a year around the world are giving the ultimate sacrifice of their life because they're Christians. We don't hear about that, do we? We don't see it. We don't see it on the news. We don't read it in the papers. We don't see it online. There's not a whole lot of YouTube videos about people that are being put to death today just because they're Christians. There are Christians in, in parts of Africa that are being mutilated today just because they will not deny Christ. There are people in the Middle East today, Christians, who live in walled cities that have no running water, that, that, that barely have the necessities of life because they've been ostracized from Muslim communities just because they're Christians. They're considered less than dogs in society just because they've decided to follow Christ. Tell these Christians that were being dragged into the lion's den, eaten by lions. Tell the Christians that are burning to the stake at the stake. Tell the Christians that are today being ostracized and many of them being put to death that Jesus came and he died on the cross so that they can have a Cadillac. Please tell them. See, thousands of people today are being deceived into thinking that if they come to Christ, that their lives are just going to get better, more comfortable. And the truth is, we have recreated a Jesus that we're more comfortable with, a Jesus that's okay with materialism, a Jesus that's okay with half-hearted devotion, a Jesus that's okay with going to church once a week, a Jesus that's okay with Christianity that demands nothing and gives us everything. But what if Jesus was really serious about giving up everything to follow him? What if Jesus was serious about his claims? What if Jesus was serious about leaving your comfort and serving him wherever Jesus told you to serve him? What if Jesus was serious about sharing everything you have with others because it really doesn't belong to you anyway? What if Jesus was really serious about being willing to die for our faith? What if Jesus was serious that he belongs, he owns everything and everything belongs to him? What if, what if following Jesus means that your life is not your own, that your money is not your own, that your future really belongs to his sovereignty? And really, if he chooses for you to live or die, it's up to him because your whole life does not belong to you. Put it on the screen, friends. What if Jesus was serious? about his claims what if Jesus was serious 
about you deciding that your life here on earth could never compare to the riches of being in heaven. As Paul the Apostle says, I'm betwixt between the two. I don't, I don't know what I want to do, but I know this. I know that I need to stay here for you, but I'd rather die for my faith so that I can be in the presence of Almighty God. As Paul the Apostle says, I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering so that I can have a better resurrection. Wow. What if Jesus was serious? It's a haunting thought. The implications are staggering. It shakes me to the very core of my belief system as a Christian if Jesus was actually serious about what he was calling me to do. How should we use our resources? How should we live our lives? How should we conduct ourselves in this world? How should we accept pain and suffering? How should we face death if Jesus was actually serious about the claims that it's better to die and to be in heaven? It's better to give up everything so that we can gain life. What should it profit a man if he would gain the whole world, yet he should forfeit his soul? What if he was serious? It would change the way that we think about everything. It would change the way that we think about life it would change the way we would think about death we would stand at the the deathbed of someone we desperately love but we know that we know that they love the Lord and we know that they're right with God and they have accepted Jesus Christ into their life then we can say go and be in the hands of the Lord we are at peace because we know that you're going to a better place that you're going to be in a better state that you're going to be walking on the streets of gold and you're going to behold the, the very presence of God himself what if we were being burned to the stake and we knew that our life was not our own but we knew that the moment that we shut our eyes we would be in glory how would we change our life listen to me when Jesus said come follow me he was setting the entire basis for how we live our lives and how we respond absolutely to everything else that we read and learn in his word Let, let's look at some examples in the Bible of people that didn't get it. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Luke chapter 9, verse 57, and as, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus. Oh, they got excited. It's kind of like on a Sunday morning when emotions are running high and the worship team is, is playing that special altar call song and people feel like, yes, I'm going to do this. Listen, I've been preaching at this church as the lead pastor for 20 years. I've been preaching at this church as a pastor for 30 years. And I have called people to repentance every Sunday morning. And I have had the joy to see hundreds, perhaps thousands of people come to this altar and say, yes, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. But the Bible says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many there go in, narrow is the gate that leads to life. And few ever find it. And I have watched as some who would go through difficult times in their life would become angry at God and turn away and walk away from their faith, walk away from God. Jesus said, that's what will happen, that the seed will be thrown onto some ground and some of the ground will be so hard, people will resist it. Some of the ground will be so shallow that some will come and, and give their lives to Christ. But when persecution comes or trials come or difficulty comes, they will turn away from the Lord because they thought that coming to Christ meant that their life would be more comfortable. But look what Jesus says. Jesus tells these that, that come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus replies, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Are you really wanting to follow me now? Because I don't have anywhere to sleep tonight. Do you want to follow me to a place where you have to lay your head on a stone? Because I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. And he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. You see, the funny thing about this story is his father wasn't even dead yet. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wow, sounds pretty radical. Don't worry about your dad in the hospital. There are other family members that can take care of that business. You go and bring life to other people right now. His destiny, his destiny is, his fate is already sealed, but there's a whole lot of people that they still need to know and understand the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Wow, radical statements. But you see, Jesus knew their heart. Jesus could see right past their excuses. He knew that when they turned around and they went back home, someone would talk them into being responsible. Someone would talk them into making sure that they understood what they were doing and talk them out of following Jesus. I, I remember, I grew up in this church all my life, and I love my mom dearly, and she gets it today. But I remember at 19 years old when I gave my life to Jesus, I became radical for Jesus. Every part of my life, I laid down for Jesus. I understood what it meant that if I gave my life to Christ, I was giving up a career. I was giving up security. I, I was giving up anything that I thought in the future that I wanted. I was laying it down for the gospel, recognizing that he was calling me to total dedication and service. And I was radical for Jesus, and I'll never forget, I went home, I was on fire for God. And, and all of my lukewarm cousins and family members, they started looking at me like I was crazy. And I remember my mom walked into my bedroom one day, and she said to me, and she gets it today. She didn't get it back then. She said, Stephen, I'm so glad that you go to church now, but let's not get out of hand with this stuff. I mean, here's a mom who, who took me to church all my life, who, who would bring me to the altars and cry her eyeballs out, and, and I'd cry in, in the presence of, of God as well, because if I didn't cry, she wouldn't let me get off the altar and go home, and so I learned how to cry pretty quickly so I can go home. And she said, but just don't get too radical, you know, don't, don't, don't just wait a little while, you know, just, just, you know, don't get fanatical. Don't be a fanatic. Just be balanced, you know. And so I've, I've lived my life for the last 30 years trying to catch up with the words of Christ. To recognize it'll cost me everything. See, three men approached Jesus eager to follow him. I suppose they saw him do some incredible miracles. I, I suppose that they saw him heal the sick, cast out demons, that they might have seen him multiply the, the food and, and give it out to people. They, they saw him raise the dead, and they wanted, they wanted to follow Jesus, but they didn't understand the cost of following Jesus. They didn't understand that the benefits were in another world. Tell them that the benefits were out of this world. Tell them that, that, you know what, if you want to follow me, then you get whatever you want. 
Tell them that they never have to worry again, that their food will always be right there, that they'll get whatever they ask for in the name of Jesus, that, that, that everything that they want in their life is going to come because they're following Jesus. Tell them that, Jesus, and then you know what? You'll, they'll follow you. You know, Jesus never mixed words. He never sugar-coated anything, did he? He said, if you follow me, the opposite's going to happen. Don't expect that you'll always have a place to sleep. Don't expect that you'll have everything you want. Don't expect that I'm going to bless you every time you ask for blessings. Expect to be homeless at times. When I call you, you'll, you'll have to be ready to leave your family. And if you're not ready to make a commitment right now, then you're just not ready. Jesus tells his would-be followers, listen, this is what it says in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were following with Jesus, and then he turned to them. Here it is. Large crowds we're following Jesus. They saw him do all the great miracles, and they said, you know what? I'm going to follow him to the ends of the earth. And Jesus turns around and says, if anyone wants to come after me, and he doesn't hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Could you imagine? That's not the way you, you grow a church, Jesus. That's not how you grow a ministry, Jesus. That's not how you get the crowds of people to come, Jesus. Tone it down a little bit, Jesus. Tell them they're going to be blessed. But he said, if you want to follow me, then your love for me has to be so great that it seems like hatred toward your family. That your love, your obedience to me has to be so intense that when I call you to do something, that it will seem so disrespectful to your elders and so disrespectful for everyone else because you're really not taking into account what's going on in their life. What you're really taking into account is that I'm Lord. I'm sovereign Lord over your life. And when I tell you to move, I know there's a better plan. If I tell you to move, I'm telling you to do that because there's a good enough reason. And your family, they're going to take care of things. They're going to be okay. Don't justify. Don't rationalize. Just obey. Obey me. He wasn't telling us they hate. Jesus doesn't hate. He loves. But that word is a strong word. What does that word mean? It's kind of like the so much more is in the scripture that he was saying, your love for me has to be so intense that the people that love you and are expecting you to be responsible and rationalize things, they're going to think that you've turned your back on them because they don't see what you see. They don't understand what you understand. They're carnally minded. They, can't, they don't get it. And a carnally minded Christian just doesn't get it. So it's going to seem like hate. Greater than any other love that we have is the love that we have for God. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. He said, will he first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go out to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider if he's able to win the war? Listen what Jesus says then. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has, cannot be my disciple. In other words, before you decide to follow me, you better count the cost. My friend, Jesus never sugarcoated his message. He never played it down to gain popularity. He never watered it down to gain influence. He never gave 
people false hope. He never promised anything to his followers other than eternal life, the kingdom of God. But unfortunately, for 2,000 years, his so-called followers have tried to find loopholes in the cost of following him. In fact, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus makes it very clear to everyone who wants to be his Christ follower. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, the key verse, the, the key scripture of the radical series. Then he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. First, he says, the cost of being a disciple is self-denial. The American gospel tells you, come to Jesus and he'll bless you. He'll give you whatever you want. Jesus says, come to me, and you have to deny yourself. Jesus said, if you really want to be my disciple, you must deny. You know, the word deny in the, in the Greek means to denounce. It means to disown. It means to renounce. So Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to renounce your sin. You have to denounce your life and disown yourself. In other words, Jesus doesn't say in order to have eternal life, you have to work for it or earn it or somehow attain it. Because you know what? We're saved by grace, aren't we? It's a gift from God. But Jesus is saying, even though you're saved by grace, even though I paid the whole price for your salvation, it will cost you nothing to get into the kingdom. It will cost you everything to live in the kingdom. You see, because when you come into the kingdom, look, 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 listen to me for a minute. When you come into the kingdom, there's only one king. You see, before you're in the kingdom, you're king. You're lord of your life. And, and God's like, you want to be lord of your life? You can continue to, to call the shots and do whatever you want. But, but in my kingdom, there's only one king. In my kingdom, there's only one Lord. In my kingdom, there's one king and then there are subjects. And so if you want to come into the kingdom, then you got to realize that I'm sovereign, that I'm Lord over your life. That your life is not your own any longer. That you've been bought with a price and now you have a Lord, you have a King and everything that you have and everything that you possess and everything you want to be is all subject to the King. You come to the throne room of God and you lay your life down. You lay your aspirations down. You lay your talents and your gifts and your future and your job and your career and your family. You lay it all down at the King's feet and you say, I'm willing to live in the kingdom and you're the king, Lord. And so you call the shots, Lord. You, you, you tell me where to go, and I will go. Why? Because I'm so blessed to know that the king of glory came from glory, and he died on an old rugged cross, and he rose on the third day, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, and he's king, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. In this kingdom, there's only one king. And so we gladly laid down our life because our life was, wasn't so great in the first place. But we gladly laid down our life. Number two, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you must not only deny yourself, but take up your cross daily. 
I know that some people think it means to carry trials and problems. Do you ever meet somebody who said, oh, well, he's my cross. Don't look at your husband right now. Or, or everyone has a cross. Do you, you ever hear someone say, everyone has a cross to bear? Everyone has a problem in their life, a trial. Do you know what? That's not what Jesus was talking about. That's only American Christianese. Oh, I broke my fingernail. Everybody has a cross. <laughs> I lost my job. Everybody has a cross. I have a wayward son. Everybody has a cross. That is not what Jesus was talking about when he talked about picking up your cross daily. Now, I love the cross, but, but just think about it for a moment. And, and I cling to the cross. Paul the Apostle said, the only thing I want to know is Christ crucified. And it was the cross in which Christ was crucified on that gives me eternal life. I'm not going to turn this into an idol. I'm not going to pray to this. It's just a reminder of what Christ did for me as he paid the ultimate sacrifice for me. But I don't wear this as a good luck charm, and I don't wear this because it's a beautiful cross. Did you ever see what people try to do with crosses? They put studs on crosses and diamonds on crosses and, and pearls on crosses. You, there have been all kinds of different beautiful crosses that have been made. I'm reminded of the young lady who said, Lord, can I have a padded cross? Take a look at this. Oh, how great you are, God, to make me so great. Well, here I am. You said, take up your cross, and I'm ready to do it. You know, this whole self-denial thing, oh, it's not easy. Taking up that cross, <laughs> real tough, for mature Christians only, which is so me. I mean, I'm way more saved than everybody else. But yes, sir, here I am, ready and willing. Ah, Lord, I'll bet you wish there were more disciples like me. I am pretty righteous. But, you know, I was thinking, before I go taking up my cross and all, maybe I could take a look at those crosses. I mean, I'm not fussy or anything like that. No, no, no. But, you know, if I'm going to win souls, I have to stay relevant, right? So I'm thinking, cross with a bird on it. Birds are so in right now. Or, ooh, what about mustaches? Gold mustaches. People love mustaches. You see them on everything. That would be perfect to attract people. And then I can win some souls and get them to come to my church, Bethlehem Assembly. And then they'll all say, what a great evangelist I am. Oh, gosh, that would be so great. Oh, oh, I'm having a vision. Lord, I see all of these crosses oh gosh um, god um it's kind of funny because um these crosses are are really big and and heavy to look at and oh that rough wood yikes i mean come on think of the splinters i can't have that stuff running against my soft skin i just did a full body scrub uh gee god uh you got anything more um comfortable like you know velvet lined or or memory foam padded i mean <laughs> and maybe bedazzled you know it's 
It's just that it's not that no one wants to give their lives to you, but it's just like, you know, when the cross is so big and pointy and heavy, I mean, please look at that thing. It, it looks like a bunch of amateurs slapped it together. That thing is dangerous. It could kill somebody. <sighs> no one is going to be very impressed. And oh my gosh, what would my friends think? Say that again, God. Oh, oh God, but I want to be your disciple. I want everyone to see me taking up my cross. Why does that seem so all or nothing all the time? I mean, not everything has to be your way or the highway. You got to have balance, right? Gosh, and, and I have a right to enjoy my life. After all, didn't you say you came to give me life to the fullest? So then shouldn't it be comfortable and fun? But God, seriously, come on. No one wants to give their lives like that anymore. People don't do that anymore. Please, if I get totally radical, people are going to say I'm some kind of fanatic. They're going to think I'm some kind of Jesus freak. So are we cool with that, God? Do, do we have a deal, you know, padded memory foam, bedazzled cross with mustaches? God? Where'd you go? So there are many crowds of people that are gathered around Jesus. And they're attracted to Jesus for so many different reasons. Speaks with authority, cast out demons. He feeds the poor. He multiplies the fish and loaves. And they gather around Jesus. And they said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. Picture the scene with me for a moment, would you please? Picture the scene. Jesus turns around and he points to a hill. And there are criminals carrying their own crosses up to that hill. And they're being nailed to the cross. And they're screaming in agony. They're screaming, oh, I want my life. Just one more day. Just one more day. I want to live. I want to live. And Jesus points and says, if you want to be my follower, if you want to really be my disciple, you must deny yourself, die to yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. But it sounds so morbid, doesn't it? It sounds so much like death but here's the truth friends as we conclude today that the the key to the whole radical series is that when we follow Christ when we pick up our cross and we deny ourselves Jesus says to us for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will save it that's the key. The great trade-off. Listen to me. The great exchange. You give God your life. He gives you his life. You give God your fallible, broken, desperate, pathetic life. And he gives you his son that's why Paul the Apostle says I'm crucified with Christ 
I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. I'm crucified with Christ. And the life I live, I live it by faith today. You see, there's a great exchange that happens when we do it God's way. You see, we have bought into the American gospel that says, you come to Christ, you do God a favor, and Christ will bless you, but you can keep your life. God says, no, 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 no. You want abundant life? You want a powerful life filled with my spirit? You want to be free from drugs and alcohol? You want to be free from depression and discouragement? You want to be free from yourself? You know, did you ever ask the question, why did God save you? You see, some people believe that God saved them to save them from hell. Some people believe that God saved them so that they would be saved from God's wrath. God saved you from yourself. See, we need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved from our selfishness. We need to be saved from our sin that will destroy our life. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it always leads to death. So when Jesus saved you, he saved you from self. Why in the world would you want to keep self when self is rotten to the core, but you could make an exchange yourself for him, your weakness for his power, your desperation for his divine purpose. So here we are today in this place at the beginning of this incredible series. And I want to encourage all of you to get into a small group. Because I believe in the next eight weeks, God's going to do a phenomenally powerful work in your life. But it starts with deciding who is Lord. See, this is a lordship issue today. Who's Lord of your life? Are you still in control? Is he Lord of every area of your life? You see, because if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So I'd like for you to bow your heads right now. This is a solemn, solemn moment today in our church at Bethlehem Assembly of God. You know that we have had record attendance at Bethlehem Assembly of God for the last several months. We have never had so many people attend Bethlehem Assembly of God. The second service is so crowded that we've had to put overflow, 160, 200 people in the overflow on Sunday mornings. We've had to add a third service. We've had to launch another church campus and give people away because we've never had so many people come to Bethlehem Assembly of God. And when you're on the highest point of your attendance, you tend to be afraid to preach sermons like this, but not this pastor not this preacher because if Christ is not Lord of all he's not Lord at all so here's how we're going to finish this service today if you've never given your life to Jesus and you've never received his forgiveness and you've never entered into eternal life then I'd like for you right now to do that. I'd like for you to receive Jesus as your Savior. So if you're here today and say, Pastor Steve, I'm not certain that if I die today, I'd go to heaven. I need Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. Save me from myself. 
Pastor Steve, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of self. I need to be saved from self. That's what repentance is about. Saved from my sin. I want you to raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Unreservedly, I want to give my life to Jesus. God bless you for that hand, young man. Somebody else. Somebody else today. You say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Anybody else today? Say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Young man, this is going to be a life-changing moment for you right now. I'm going to call you to stand up and come to this altar, kneel before the cross and say, I give my life to Jesus. Come on, young man. Jesus said, if any man would want to be my disciple, kneel down. Any man would want to be my disciple. He must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Does anybody else need to deny themselves today and say, I want to follow Jesus? Stand up right now and make your way to this altar and kneel before Christ. And say, I want him to be the Lord of my life. Anybody else? Quickly. Quickly. I want an altar worker to come quickly. Here's what I'm going to pray for you, church, today. I want you to lay your hands on him and pray for him. Pray God's blessing over his life and take him in a moment and explain to him what it really means to be a Christian. I want you all to stand to your feet right now. And here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask you to come also and kneel before Christ. This is just a symbol. That's all it is. This is not the original cross from Jerusalem. This is just a symbol. But I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat today and say, God, in the next eight weeks, speak to me. I mean, speak to me so deeply and so radically, Lord, that it will alter the way that I believe that I live my life. Speak to me. And Lord, help me to understand what it truly means to be a follower of Christ. Get out of your seat right now and come and kneel at the foot of the cross and say, God, speak to me in the next eight weeks. Lord, do a, a deep work in my life, Lord. Fill me with your power and your strength. Use me, God, for your glory, for the glory of your kingdom. Come on. I'm not begging nobody today. I have decided to follow Jesus. And if it means that, Jesus, you're going to take away everything that I own, everything that I possess, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Lord, if it means that you call me to be a missionary, I will follow you. Lord, if it means that, Lord Jesus, that, that I'm to, to lay down everything that I own and give to the poor, I will follow you, Jesus. There's no begging today. I will follow you. I think if more people would preach like this we'd have true disciples of Christ and not fill our church with people that are looking for what God can do for them don't ask what God can do for you ask what you could do for God today President John F Kennedy once said don't ask what your country can do for you ask what you could do for your country 
what Jesus Christ is asking don't ask what he could do for you ask what you could do for him thank you Jesus thank you Lord God Lord we bow before you today God Lord we know that as American Christians it's so hard to understand Lord it's so hard to wrap our minds around suffering it's so hard to wrap our minds around death Lord when in America we have been taught that if we come to this country if we live in this country then we have a chance to to excel to to exceed Lord and succeed Lord but God coming into your kingdom Lord means that we die to ourselves we pick up our cross and we follow you daily Lord God and Lord if you lead us into suffering we willfully submit to your Lordship and we rejoice Lord if suffering is in our course Lord if you lead us to a place Lord of persecution God we accept it Lord as your will for our life as your sovereign will Lord Lord if you lead us to a place we won't we don't want to go God then give us the grace Lord to accept Lord God that this is your work being wrought in us so that we might glorify you with everything that we have, Father. We lay down our white flag, God, and we pick up the cross. We're not Lord. You are Lord. We come off the throne of our lives, Lord. We step off the throne of our life. we place you on the throne of our heart and we say not my will but your will be done not my life but your life lived through me fill us oh God with your power today fill us with your Holy Spirit Lord because when we're weak you make us strong your grace is sufficient for us father and God, you will never allow us to go through a valley. You will never allow us to go through a pain or suffering. That you will not also give us grace and the Holy Spirit to face, Lord God. And Lord, should the day come that we are to lay down our very life for the gospel, then you will also give us grace to lay it down gracefully, Lord. God, we pray for the persecuted church today, God. Lord, we pray for the 480 people that are going to lay down their life for the gospel simply because they will not deny Christ. Oh God, we pray that you give the persecuted church grace and strength to go through what they're going through. May we stand with our brothers and sisters. May we recognize, Lord God, that when one Christian is put to death, that's part of our family, part of our body. God, we thank you, Lord, that heaven, Lord God, is your answer to every injustice and every suffering in this world, God. This is not our home. We don't belong here. 
we are simply passing through. We are aliens, Lord, foreigners of this world. Help us, Lord, to recognize heaven is our home. Eternity is our gift and our prize. And earth and this world and everything that we must do for you is our cross that we will bear gladly, Lord. We lay down our white flags and we pick up the cross. We thank you, God. Bless this young man, Lord, who, who got out of his seat today, Lord, and walked up to this altar. One of the greatest sermon illustrations that I could ever have is a soul, is a heart that is convicted, is a heart and a soul that is open and surrendered to you, Lord. God, as he walked out of his seat, Lord, and came down and knelt before this cross, Lord, May he count the cost of being a disciple. May we all count the cost of being a disciple. And consider there is a greater cost. There is a greater cost for not being a disciple than for being a disciple. For who will hear the gospel? Who will see? Who will know? Unless we pick up our cross and follow you, Lord. Pastor Josh, would you lead us in one song? Stay where you are, everyone, in this holy moment. No moving around. Thank you, Jesus. We raise our wife flag. We surrender all to you.
find somebody today that you could lay your hands on. Just lay your hands on their shoulder right now. Let's just pray. Pray for them today that they would lay everything down. There's a young man in this room today that has been fighting and fighting and fighting the call of God on his life. Because the world is so attractive. And you've been saying to yourself, I'll never be dependent on anyone else. I'll do it myself. That, my friend, is the lie of the American dream. Because you can't do it by yourself. You can only do it because God graces you, gives you strength to do it. There's a young lady in this room today. You're fighting being a missionary. You're fighting the call of God in your life. You're afraid. You're afraid that God's not going to provide for you. I challenge you today to believe. The God who called you will equip you and the God who equips you will resource you and give you everything that you need to, to obey the call of God on your life. I was 19 years old. God called me into the ministry. Scariest moment of my life. But God, how will you provide? How will you take care of my family? 30 years later, God's still providing. One day at a time. And there are some times when I, when I feel the pain of not being able to give everything that my kids want. And sometimes I, I walk in the houses of other people and they have nicer things than me. And sometimes I feel sorry for myself. And then I'm reminded of what Jesus said. No man who lays down everything that he has will not have in turn greater families, greater brothers and sisters, and eternity as a reward. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, pray for somebody right now. Give us strength today, Father. Let your grace be poured upon us today, God. God, we pray for the Radical Series, Lord. Father, that you would help us, Lord, to know that you've called us to a radical life. Radical abandonment, Lord. Laying everything down, Lord. Picking up the cross to follow you, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, on our way out today, I want you to get up and hug I want you to hug somebody and tell them I'm rooting for you. And I believe God's going to do a great work through this series in your life. Give somebody a great big hug.